The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Want to fearlessly explore your creative spirit? Join artist Susie K. Edwards for Path of the Butterfly, a weekend workshop at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24 through 26. Experiment with a variety of art forms, engage in mindfulness, walking, and silent meditation, and discover a new and free-flowing creative vision. This workshop is for beginners and professional artists. Learn more at eomega.org thrive. Spirituality and Health Magazine, I'm Rabbi Rami, and this is Essential Conversations. Our guest today, Dr. David Hanscom, is an orthopedic complex surgeon and the author of Back in Control, A Surgeon's Roadmap Out of Chronic Pain, and his new book, Do You Really Need Spine Surgery? Take Control with a Spine Surgeon's Advice. Right away, Dr. Hanscom, I want to welcome you to the show and see if I'm right about this, that just from the titles alone, back in control, take control, there's a pattern here. Correct. So in a time when Americans, really led by our president, are in an anti-science, anti-expert mood, tell us what you have in mind regarding people taking control. Well, it turns out that the reason I quit spine surgery to get this message out into the world is that people have tremendous anxiety, which is not a psychological problem, it's physiological. Then if you know the history of the world better than I do with your background, is that rulers and dictators rule by fear. Remember, the antidote to anxiety is control. And when you lose control, you become very anxious. So what happens is that in times of uncertainty, When you have black and white thinkers, rulers, tyrants, there's a vacuum that's easily taken advantage of by the people in charge. So right now, one of the biggest ways to create anxiety is uncertainty. So we now have people locked in their houses without an exact definition how to get out. So it creates tremendous anxiety. And anxiety is simply a measurement of your body stress chemicals. The reason why it's so critical to understand that it's not psychological is that This unconscious survival response is present in every living creature. The unconscious brain processes about 20 million bits of information per second. The conscious brain only processes 40. So you have this massive survival reaction that's incredibly unpleasant. It's designed to create action to solve it. When we can't solve it, people become absolutely miserable and very vulnerable to being manipulated. So let's just be clear so people get what you're saying. If I'm following this, this is not psychological. Correct. This is this is physiological, right? Does psychology does the psychological aspect of us come into play at all with this, or or no? Right. So remember, with the, the way every living organism functions, is that your your body is full of sensors, eyes, ears, nose, etc. So you're processing sensory input from the environment. Your brain automatically conducts much of your behavior in a way to keep you safe. The creatures that did not pay attention to these cues actually didn't survive. So when something says danger, you have adrenaline, cortisol, histamines, a neurochemical survival response that's very unpleasant, you then take action to decrease that sensation. So when you're lying on the beach in the sun and you're thinking about your best friend, you're full of oxytocin, dopamine, and relaxation drugs, you are relaxed, but you wouldn't call relaxed a diagnosis, correct? Right. Okay, so anxiety is a sensation generated by these elevated stress chemicals. 
So it's a description of your body's neurochemical state that is physiological. So the psychology comes in is that humans have a problem called consciousness. So the psyche or thoughts are sensory input, just like sounds and feel are. And so thoughts create the same chemical reaction in the body, get the same chemical output. The problems that humans have compared to my cat is we have thoughts that we can't escape. So the fact that we can't escape our thoughts, you get this sustained chemical reaction. And what really takes people down as they get older is anxiety. And when I say anxiety, sustained exposure to elevated stress chemicals causes bodily damage. So would you say that the very nature of our postmodern capitalist system is anxiety producing? I think it's a history of the world. Okay. I mean, people have been ruled pretty much by fear. That's how people survive is avoiding danger and gravitating towards rewards. So people in power simply use whatever means they have at their disposal to terrorize people into doing what they're going to do. And so they're able to take advantage of this need to survive. And again, this chemical reaction is so unpleasant that it forces you to take action. So people are extremely vulnerable to being manipulated by people around them. So in modern day, it's different. So we have, it's not survival of the fittest as much as survival of the most anxious. So then we have the marketing world saying, well, you're not good looking, you're not athletic enough, and we can do this, this, and this to help you solve your anxiety. So we have so much sensory input that creates this feeling of inadequacy. Those thoughts, the sensory input, creates that same chemical reaction, but it is sustained. And indeed, people talk about stress management as a way to decrease anxiety. That's not true. Because the stress that's the most damaging is the stress that you can't control. So right? the stress you can't manage. Right. You so. can't control it. So it's sustained. And that's what kills people. Literally, you die seven years earlier in the presence of chronic pain. That is not psychological. Okay. So you've really raised a lot of issues here for people who are listening, I'm sure, because it certainly raises them for me. So I want to take this in two directions, one after the other, probably. So let's let's just talk about... Uh, stress management, because a lot of places, companies are hiring, let's say, mindfulness teachers to teach people to meditate in order to reduce their stress. But is that at all helpful? So anxiety is just a sensation generated when your body has a stress response. So you can't control the stress, but you can control the reaction to the stress. Ah, you've, okay. heard the, you've heard this saying that pain is inevitable, suffering is optional. So to me, the suffering is that sustained chemical response. So the reason why mindfulness and meditation work is to simply lower the stress chemicals. Now, the key issue here is, is you have to understand the whole model really to make long-term sense out of mindfulness and meditation, because once you understand the neurochemistry of stress, then you say, I'm going to do mindfulness just to draw my stress chemicals down. Meditation is to draw my stress chemicals down. What you're not doing is people want to get rid of their anxiety, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, what would happen if you didn't have anxiety? How long would you survive? Right, you wouldn't. I mean, you'd be eaten you by something. <laughs> well, you, you wouldn't even have the anxiety to breathe. I mean, it last about two minutes. Remember, anxiety is a gift, but it's sociopathic, it's amoral, it's intentions only to survive. It processes 11 million bits of information per second compared to 40 for the conscious brain. So anxiety is what you have, but it's not who you are. Who you are is this conscious brain over here to the side that's relatively new in the evolution of the human. So the first step to solve the problem is to separate this survival reaction from your identity. So if you use it as a bodyguard to navigate challenges and to keep yourself safe, it's a gift. If you mix your identity up with this asocial, amoral 
survival reaction, it's your prison guard. Mm. So once you separate out the reaction from your identity, then it allows you to flourish and be creative and move forward. The first thing I counsel people to do is get rid of the word anxiety forever. And we feel agitated or nervous to say my stress chemicals are elevated. Visualize a large thermometer on the opposite wall and just say my stress chemicals are elevated. The way you decrease anxiety simply decreases stress chemicals. That's different than the words you put on. You can be depressed. You can be upset. All these other different things. So we have lots of words to describe the sensation. But at the end of the day, the only thing you have to do to decrease anxiety is to decrease the stress chemicals. So this is really interesting because we're talking about, I mean, the linguistic element here. So the reality, right. not the label anxiety, depression, whatever we're going to say, but the reality is an increase in stress chemicals, which is right. when you say that, I'm assuming this is what you have in mind. When I say, oh, my stress chemicals are elevated, I can say that with a certain level of calm as opposed to, oh, I'm anxious, right. I'm panicking, I'm, I'm depressed or whatever it happens. But does my labeling of elevated stress chemicals as anxiety in and of itself increase my stress chemical level. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so we really are in a linguistic hamster cage here. We're just making things, it's circular, we're just making things worse. Well, the reason why, I mean, the people, I work with the Dr. Stephen Portis, who has written a theory called the polyvagal theory. And he's a little bit more of a purist than I am. He's a look, get rid of the word anxiety completely. And he's president of the Psychophysiologic Disorders Association, so our proposal is to take anxiety completely out of the diagnostic coding manual for psychiatric diagnosis. And then there's lots of behaviors that result from trying to deal with these stress chemicals. In other words, if you're depressed or ADD or bipolar or have an addiction, you have lots of behavioral reactions trying to cope with this unpleasant emotion. So what you have to do, if you separate anxiety out of the diagnostic coding system completely, then you can do tools to decrease the stress chemicals. And that's a different discussion. Then you can treat the behaviors as symptoms and as descriptors. So somebody says, well, I'm bipolar. Well, that's not true. Reality is, is driven by anxiety. You have lots of mood swings. You have bipolar characteristics to cope with it. So you can treat the symptoms of bipolar to give people symptomatic relief, but you want to treat the core problem of the elevated stress chemicals separately and distinctly. Then it's game on. Then you have a long-term solution. So you don't manage bipolar. You cure it. You don't manage ADD, you cure it. Because when your body's full of stress chemicals, you're wired, you're hyper, you're hypervigilant, you can't pay attention, that's ADD, right? right? So you can use medications to decrease the symptoms of ADD, but the reality is, is as you learn to regulate your body's stress chemicals, then you're a free person. So let me ask about that then. How, how do we lower our stress chemical level? The first step, again, is to separate from it. So visualize this thermometer on the opposite wall, but also understand, just get rid of the word anxiety, there's also an exercise that we start with, with everybody with chronic pain. And by the way, the mental pain is a bigger problem than physical pain because we can't escape our thoughts. That's how as a spine surgeon, I ended up doing this because we're actually doing spine surgery on anxiety and it doesn't work. Want to fearlessly explore your creative spirit? Join artist Susie K. Edwards for Path of the Butterfly, a weekend workshop at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26th. Experiment with a variety of art forms, engage in mindfulness, walking, and silent meditation, and discover a new and free-flowing creative vision. This workshop is for beginners and professional artists. Learn more at eomega.org thrive. So the first step with every patient every time 
is a simple tool called expressive writing. And there's lots of forms of it, but the exercise that seems to be very effective is you simply write down your thoughts, positive or negative, on a piece of paper, and you tear it up. Now, some sort of simple, right? I mean, how can this be? Yeah. This powerful reaction, and you write your these disruptive thoughts on a piece of paper and tear them up. And you can't control your thoughts, but with the, it's just an exercise that allows you to separate from your thoughts. So the paper's on the table, you're here. There's now a space between you and the thoughts that are connected by vision and feel, both part of the unconscious brain. And so what you're doing, you're simply separating from your thoughts. You're tearing them up for two reasons. One of them is to simply write your thoughts down with freedom, positive or negative. But the more important reason is as you start writing, all these issues come up. They're not issues. They're just thoughts. If you want to analyze them and think about them, you're going to actually reinforce them. So the solution to chronic pain, by the way, mental pain or physical pain, is based on neuroplasticity, where your brain changes every second. And what you want to do, you want to put your brain in a direction that you want. So if you're going to focus on the problem, you're going to reinforce the problem. So you're not going to learn French by trying to fix your English. Your default language is survival and pain. The new language I call an enjoyable life. The way you create this enjoyable life is you create a vision of where you want to go, where do you want to be, who do you want in your life, how do you want to do it. And as you strive towards that vision with or without your pain, your brain goes a different direction, but you actually change the physical structure of your brain. The key issue here is not psychology, it's neuroplasticity. So I'm listening to this. There's a rich tradition in Indian philosophy. Uh, thinking of a guy named Ramana Maharshi in particular, uh, that will say when you're having these anxious feelings or, you know, the things you've been talking about, he says, you ask yourself, well, who's feeling that? And what he says will happen when you do that. And, and it's, and I, I will attest that, that it seems to be true. I realize that I'm not feeling it, that the feeling is out there. But when I'm looking at the feeling and you're doing the same thing when you write it down on a piece of paper, I realize that the person writing it down is not really the person who's experiencing the anxiety. And when I tear it up, I'm freeing myself from that, I don't want to say imaginary, but I can't think of a better word, that, that secondary or that imaginary person. Am I on the right track? Um, you know, I, you are. I think the languaging's a little tricky, probably not worth discussing here. But no, that, that what you're doing is that skilled meditators can do this without the writing. So you remember, you watch thoughts comes in, you train your brain not to react to them, and then you watch them disappear and you just connect to the present moment. The problem is in chronic pain, or for a lot of us that are anxious and not skilled meditators, it's hard to do. What the writing does, it does the first two steps of meditation of awareness and separation, and then the redirection can be a little meditation, mindfulness exercise. And so you can lower stress chemicals directly with mindfulness and meditation, but you also can utilize neuroplasticity to dampen the stress response. In other words, instead of being stress, automatic survival response is stress, a little bit of a space, then you choose a different response and that's where your brain's gonna go. So the second tool that we use is called active meditation, which is about five or 10 seconds of mindfulness. So just right now, drop your shoulders down, let your jaw muscles relax, and just listen to a sound. And what you're doing with these abbreviated mindfulnesses in real time, you're putting your brain on a different sensation. So instead of fighting and doing battle with these uncontrollable thoughts, you simply switched sensory input. And I try to do it as much as I can, probably do it 20, 30 times a day. 
When I was doing active surgery, we did it all the time during surgery. If we're a little bit frustrated or anxious, we just dropped on our shoulders. And literally for three to five seconds, we would connect to the move. And as we started to engage in mindfulness-based surgery, our complication rate just dropped through the floor. It was a remarkable experience. So the first step is expressive writing, which is, I would use the word necessary to actually start the healing. The active meditation is a very basic, simple step to, to work on. But the next one, which I find fascinating, this just came up about five years ago, is that your brain's going to develop every place as attention. So if you're my patient in my office, whether it's OCD or anxiety or chronic pain, whatever it is, I say, look, when you walk out of my office, you will never discuss your pain the rest of your life with anybody except your doctors. And what I didn't realize is that people talk about their pain all the time. And so did I. I was in chronic pain myself for 15 years. So it's understandable that you're in chronic pain searching for an answer. I became what I call an epiphany addict, trying to look for that solution for chronic pain. But this endless quest puts your brain on the problem, not the solution. So I say, look, when you walk out of my office door, you'll never discuss your pain again with anybody. By the way, no complaining, no giving an ask for advice, no being critical, no gossiping, and just put your brain where you want it. And so, again, it's not psychological. You literally are programming your pain, your brain to go exactly where you want it to go. And it's interesting because probably 80% of people probably talk about their pain over half the day. Sure, it's and a it's, defining it's, characteristic of their lives. Right. And then we also know from neuroscience that these defining characteristics, these stories we have, have about ourselves, actually become embedded in our brains as deeply as this table or chair that I'm sitting in. It's called the predictive model of consciousness. So these thoughts and concepts become so embedded that become they actually are our version of reality. So I used to say that thoughts are real because they create chemical reactions, but they're not reality. That's actually not true. So your self-concept, self-identification is actually your version of reality and just as real as this chair that I'm sitting in. So here's what is so fascinating about this to me. So we've got these things that we used to consider psychological, and you can't control them because they're psychological. So now you're suggesting that I can work with what I can control, which is, I guess you'd say, sensory input by changing, sitting up, letting my shoulders relax, different things. You know, you're talking about with active uh, meditation, et cetera, monitoring my speech so that I am not reinforcing the false condition that um, of anxiety and, and pain by not talking about it. I'm not reinforcing it. So right. that I'm, I'm the whole exercise, all the pieces you've talked about, seems to be a way to distance myself from a false sense of what's going on so that I can deal with what's physiologically going on. Now, last question then, does who needs spine? <laughs> so the question, the, the book's title is, do you really need spine surgery? So I think the answer is, what, 90% of us don't, even though 90% of us who think we do don't? I would say that 70% of spine surgery should not be done. Okay. And it turns out, I found out about 10 years ago, that a lot of times people, what they're complaining about more than their physical pain was their mental pain. Yeah. And and so what happens once I started to sort this out and help people decrease their stress chemicals with the same tools that I learned somewhat accidentally, is people's stress chemicals drop the pain would actually disappear because what happens when you optimize the body's chemistry, it slows down the nerve conduction. The pain really does disappear. 
It's not about living with the pain. It's not about mind over matter. As you learn to adjust your body's chemistry, the essence of solving chronic pain is learning how to feel safe. And when you feel safe, you're full of great chemicals compared to stress chemicals. So anyone who's listening to this, who's probably not feeling safe, not understanding you know, their, their situation the way you're describing it, I hope that you will take a look at this book. Do you really need spine surgery? And, and just reconceptualize your situation and then work with what you can control uh, the way Dr. Hanscom is, is suggesting. And it could be absolutely life-altering. So on that note, I'm going to have to let you go, doctor, but wow, this was, this was very exciting. So our guest today, Dr. David Hanscom, is an orthopedic complex surgeon and the author of Do You Really Need Spine Surgery? Take Control with a Spine Surgeon's Advice. You can learn more about his work at www.backincontrol.com. Dr. Hanscom, thank you so much for talking with us on Essential Conversations. Yeah, thank you. Essential Conversations with Rabbi Rami is the bi-weekly podcast of Spirituality and Health magazine. If you like Essential Conversations, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to the show on your preferred podcast app. You can also follow me on Spirituality and Health's website, where I now write a regular column called Roadside Musings, and on my new podcast, Conversations on the Edge. And don't forget to subscribe to the print magazine as well. Essential Conversations is produced by Ezra Baker Truppiano, and our executive producer is Catherine Drury-Wagner. I'm Rabbi Rami. Thanks for listening. If you're inspired by the teachings of Dr. Wayne Dyer, you will love the Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Life podcast with Nadia Dela Cruz. You are a spiritual being having a human experience. My name is Nadia Dela Cruz, and I started the Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Life podcast to explore spiritual topics like manifestation and meditation with guests who share their own stories of insight, awakening, and transformation. Listen now on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network or wherever you get your podcasts.